The word of the Lord comes to us today as we continue on our series in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 13. I'll be reading verses 6 through 11, 15 through 18, 23 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Arxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. It was greatly displeased. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the room and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Am Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of the Ashdod, or the language of one of the other people, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their nations, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Mars Hill. It is 
Uh, good to be with you all. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kyle Lake. I serve as the pastor to our high school ministry anthem and as our family life director. And let us begin in prayer. Oh Lord, our God, the grass withers and the flowers of the field fade, but your word stands forever. And so may we encounter your living word this morning. May it draw near to us and speak to us, enlivening our hearts and our minds that we may be your people, loving you and loving others. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I want to begin at the end. I want to, in Babe Ruth fashion, stick out the bat and call the shot, telling you where this is all headed. In fact, all sermons that I preach, I hope, end at the same place, and that is here at this table. Now, I know uh, this is not typical storytelling fashion, right? You don't tell people where the end is going to be because then why listen to the story? But I want it to be known that this is the hope that this place right here, this table, is where everything heads this morning. Because this table is not my table. And it's not your table nor is it even our table, but it's Christ's table. And we believe that here at this table, this place, Jesus comes to meet us. And that here at this table, the good news of God's unfailing, never giving up love is made physical in gifts of bread and cup. And so no matter what is said over the next 20 minutes, however faithful it is to this story that we encounter, this story is certain and true. And so that's where everything is going to be headed. And in order to get to this place, to this story, I want to talk about a particular people. And I want to talk about particular time, and I want to talk about a particular place. But first, we need to talk about running. Now, uh, some of you have known that over the last few years, I've taken up this hobby, which involves great amounts of suffering. And what I've had to learn about running, particularly running long distances, is that the mistake that people often make is that they run at the same intensity, the same pace, every single run. But what research shows is that the greatest gains, 
The best way to train is not to always run with an easy pace or to run with a medium pace or to run with high intensity every single time as if every single run is the most important run. But the the place to make the greatest gains, the way to train, is actually through an 80-20 rule. That 80% of the runs are to be easy, conversational, Sunday morning jog. And 20% are to be a particular kind of intensity. That there is importance to having particularity. To certain runs being set aside, being marked as special, as being sort of holy, we could say. That particular runs have a unique function. And so we come to the end of the book of Nehemiah here. Nehemiah chapter 13. And here in this chapter, the people have gathered together once again to hear God's word read in their midst. Uh, Ashley cued us up last week where another story earlier in Nehemiah where the book of the law was again brought in their midst. Ezra and some of the other Levites and priests read from this book and the people gathered together to hear it in their midst. And this is happening once again. But Nehemiah goes on to retell a story of what happened before this particular moment. When he had gone off to Babylon, doesn't say why he went off, why he returned to King Artaxerxes, but he's gone off. And while he's gone, guess who's back? Back again. Tobiah. As Tim cued us up a few weeks ago, he keeps showing up again and again, causing all sorts of trouble. And here in chapter 13, that holds true as well. Tobiah has sort of come up close to one of the priests and somehow has gotten access to one of the rooms in the temple of the Lord. And this room was meant to be used to hold the articles for worship and to hold the grain offerings and the wine and the fig offerings that people would bring up to the temple when they came to worship to care for the Levites and the priests that were there. Because while the Levites and the priests were on duty, they couldn't go back to their homes and back to their fields. And so this was a way that they were ministered and cared for. And Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem. And he comes back to find that Tobiah has moved into the house of the Lord. Nehemiah has come home to find that all the toys have been pulled out of the garage and are on the lawn. That candy bar wrappers are stuffed in the couch cushions. And he's wondering, what is going on here? What is happening? And Nehemiah is upset about it. He's frustrated for a couple of reasons. If we go back to chapter 10, a few pages to the left, we find that the people here in chapter 10, 
committed themselves to caring for the Levites and the priests. Beginning in verse 34, we, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as is written in the law. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. And it goes on to say more about that. And so Nehemiah is upset because they are not doing what they said they were going to do. But he's also, I think, upset because of what the temple represents. What the temple means. In the ancient Near East context, the temple was the center of the universe. It was the Granville of the West Michigan area, right? <laughs> this was the place. The temple was the location where heaven and earth overlapped. It was the place where God would come to meet with God's people. And so it was the center of religious and social life, of communal life. This is where all the action was taking place. But the temple and what was happening in the temple was to be a physical representation of what was happening in the spiritual realm, happening in heaven. And so Nehemiah is frustrated that this particular place, which has a unique function, was being used for a different purpose that it was becoming just like every other place because Tobiah has moved in with his household goods, probably selling them. And here Nehemiah comes in and clears it out. Perhaps we hear echoes of another time when someone came into the temple and saw things happening that weren't too pleasing and cleared it out. Because the temple was a particular place with a unique function. But that's not all that makes Nehemiah scratch his head. That's not all he's frustrated about because there's other things that are taking place. As Denise read for us, the story goes on to say, In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And this frustrates Nehemiah. He doesn't understand because... Again, let's go back to chapter 10. In verse 31, when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, 
We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forgo working the land and will cancel all debts. The people committed to doing something, and again, they are not doing it. And Nehemiah has to be wondering, what is going on? That's not the only reason Nehemiah comes in and closes the gates on the Sabbath and turns off the internet and hides the devices and pulls the car into the garage and says, we're not going anywhere. He understands what the Sabbath represents. That the Sabbath is time where heaven and earth overlap. That the Sabbath is in time, God coming to meet with God's people. That the Sabbath was the day when the people gathered together to rehearse the story of their liberation. It draws them back into the story of when they were slaves in Egypt. And God entered into their story and freed them and brought them out from the land of Egypt and the house of slavery and said, six days you're to work, but not on the seventh day because you are no longer slaves to Pharaoh. This was a particular time with a unique function where they would rehearse the story of who they were as a people because of what God had done. But it was also the day where they rehearsed the story from Genesis 1 of God creating the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day setting aside particular time for God's self to be with God's people, that they would rest, that they would cease from their activity and remember that they were not the creator. They were the creation. And that the creator wanted to draw near and to be with them. That God longed for them to be rather than do. But what Nehemiah is seeing is that this day that was particular time has become like all other days. That there is no longer a unique function of this because everything that they were doing on every other day was still taking place. And so there's frustration that a particular space has become like all other spaces. That a particular time has become like all other times. And he's also frustrated about one other thing. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. 
I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Now, we can question Nehemiah's methods here. Uh, His roughing up of people and calling down curses and pulling out hair. We We can wonder, is that the best way? But I think what we need to do is dig down, what is Nehemiah upset about? Why is he acting in this way? And you all know what's coming. Where are we headed? Back to chapter 10. (laughs) Let's go back and see what's going on. Verse 30, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. So again, just like the two movements before, they are doing exactly what they said they would not do. But that's not the only reason. Nehemiah is concerned about who they are as a people. That they are a particular people with certain practices in symbols and rituals that align them, that demonstrate their allegiance to their particular God. They are a holy people because God has chosen them to bear witness in front of all the other nations to who God is that the other nations might come to believe and be a part of their community as well. And so what is at stake here for Nehemiah and what's at stake throughout the Old Testament for the people of Israel is that they will be tempted again and again to align themselves and be uh, people who have allegiance to other nations and to other gods. And we see the danger here for Nehemiah. The language that the children are speaking is not the language of their people that they won't speak the language that enacts the practices of the people. When they come to the particular place to recite the prayers, to remember the grand narrative that they're a part of, the big story of God freeing them, they won't be able to speak the language and have the language of faith because they don't know the story. And because they don't know the story, they may not observe and be oriented to a particular time, which may lead them away from being a particular people who bear witness to what God is doing. And you can see why Nehemiah is so concerned about what is happening in Jerusalem. In Mars Hill, we too are a particular 
people who are oriented by a particular time, who show up and live in a particular space. Later on in the New Testament, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, picks up on this story a little bit. And he says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. We are a particular people. And we are a particular people who are discipled by a particular book. That just like the Israelites whose temptation was to pledge allegiance to other nations and other gods, the temptation to pledge allegiance to other gods is no less prevalent for us today than it was for the Israelites. It just may look a little different. That just as the Israelites were tempted to attach and affix their hearts and trust in other nations, to listen to the voices of other peoples who are telling different stories about the world, so too are we tempted to listen to other voices who are telling other stories about how the world works. But we're a particular people bound to a particular book because we worship a particular God. And so I think one of the invitations for us this morning as we hear this story is to wonder what are the voices that are telling stories and narratives that I am living in? What kind of story are they telling about us as a people, you as a person, and who you're called to be in the world? Because Israel was called to be who they were because of who God was and what God said about them. And we're a people who also exist with a particular time. We are oriented by a certain rhythm of our worship and our life together. I think we need to be reoriented by Sabbath time to remember that we are not machines. God's great invitation to you is to come and to rest to cease, to be, that God wants to draw near to you in time. That the great call of your life is not to be busy. That resting and Sabbath is not lazy. 
is not wasted time, but is actually time in which God comes to encounter you and to form you as a person. And so what might it look like for us this week to take a good look at our time? And what is orienting our time? What are the priorities and things that are creating rhythms in our life that are shaping us and are determining how we spend our time? Is all of our time the same? Running, hustling from one thing to the next? Or are we operating in an 80-20 life? where we have particular time that's determined because we are a particular people. And then what about particular space? One of the challenges of living on this side of the enlightenment is that everything we understand seems to be able to be measured and quantified that knowledge comes through scientific exploration and that mystery and transcendence is lost because everything has to be able to fit into a theory or a hypothesis or an understanding. And while there's so many great benefits that have come out of that, I think one of the things that we've lost is the uniqueness of particular space. That when we gather together here, something unique is happening. That there is a unique way in which God comes to encounter us as a people when we are together. That maybe God doesn't show up in the same way when we are not together. And that's not to say we control God and that we, we have a special formula because God is God. God is the unknown and a mystery for us to encounter. But perhaps when we are together, God draws near in a special way. And so what might it look like for us as we consider participating in the life of this community, to anticipate and to expect when we are together, God is going to show up in a unique way. That God will encounter us here and be present as we wait upon the Lord. Which brings us to the table. Here at this table, we have a particular space. This place here is unlike any other place because it's the table of Jesus Christ. It's his table. And here at this table, we have particular time. Because we believe at this place, the time of the past and the time of the future collapses in on the present. 
that just as Jesus ate with his disciples in the past and the feast that he prepares for us in the kingdom to come comes present to us at this place, at this time, collapsing in, and we get a sneak peek of it. And this table is a particular table of a particular people. This isn't the table of the world, but it's the table of the church. That all are called to feast at this table because it's Christ's table. It's a particular and unique table for this people. And so here we get to taste a little bit of what Nehemiah is talking about here in chapter 13. Heaven and earth overlapping, coming together in place and in time and in people. And so with that, let us come to the table. And so the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And so we pray. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray. That the bread that we break and the cup that we bless would be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. And that in receiving these gifts, we would be joined to him. And with the whole church all around the world, the church before and the church ahead, that we would attain the unity of our faith. And so come, Lord Jesus. Come. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he blessed it. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after they ate their fill, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so whenever we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And truly, we rehearse this story. Rehearse the story of this being a particular place at a particular time with a particular people. The story that people all over the world say together in three short phrases. That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so come. Come to the table. Come all you who are hungry and thirsty. Come all you who are heavy burdened. 
and find at this table God meeting you here. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. So there's tables around the room, invite you. Uh, There's allergen-free elements on all the tables. Invite you if you would like to pray uh, with someone. Uh, Brian is in the back there. Uh, He would love to pray with you. You may also write a prayer on a piece of paper and put it in one of our prayer walls, and our staff will be praying for you this week. Uh, Come. All things are ready. These here are the gifts of God for the people.